Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Tuesday. Hope you guys enjoyed that divisional round. Kind of shitty games, but what can you do? We got Championship Sunday on tap and then the Super Bowl. No freaking football on Saturday. Time to go back. Hang out with your loved ones. Stop ignoring your friends. Actually take your pets outside. Got to start doing the things that normal people, I guess, do every single day. But before then, we got some fantasy football goodness to go figure out. I do have an article up on PFF.com detailing 29 early takeaways for this free agency cycle so look a lot of time to get into it things are going to change franchise tags trades you know it will get flipped on its head as the great pete overset might say but just looking at it in general guys there's a lot of cool stuff going on i mean the amount of quarterback movement that we've seen in recent years the running back class this year is absolutely phenomenal and yeah the wide receiver and tight ends aren't all that great but you know what they're going to become not necessarily great, but at least entertaining to make fun of on Twitter when they inevitably get overpaid because of the lack of overall depth to the class. And I think that also goes for these wide receivers coming out of college as well. I mean, you guys know I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be, you know, Mr. Top Scout in the entire world, but I do like to trust the people that are very good at that. And I believe I saw Dame Brugler or Mike Renner, two of my favorite guys in the entire industry to follow this stuff. I want to say it was Dane and some random twitter thread basically saying like there's a chance that the top wide receiver in this year's class wouldn't have even gone ahead of any of the top six wide receivers from last year so that just goes to show you might not have the same sort of day one or free agency signings at the position that we've seen in past years but getting ahead of myself again the goal for today is to go through 29 cool early takeaways and questions, I should say, for this free agent class. So appreciate you guys tuning in as always. And with that, let's get after it. And starting off with one of those first notes, the franchise tag. Who could be getting it? I do believe there are roughly seven pretty solid candidates. Now, two of them are going to be, I'm sorry, Four instances of guys from the same team, so I don't think we're going to see that many tags. We can also see it happen for a defender or an offensive lineman. I'm just not really worried about that for this fantasy edition of the podcast, as always. So Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, as we've seen, apparently wasn't cool with the $130 million that the Ravens offered him because we saw how much money Deshaun Watson got guaranteed. So that's really going to be the biggest domino to fall throughout this entire cycle. At least we did see Harbaugh and company come out there, put their, you know, I guess, reputation and just their overall uh, confidence behind Lamar Jackson as the quarterback of the present and the future. But until we do see that name on a dotted line, going to continue to be some speculation. Also, I'll keep an eye on Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith. I mean, I know he fell off a little bit at the end of the year. I also saw a good chart from Ben Baldwin talking about just Geno really had a lot more of his production come in quote-unquote garbage time down two scores in the fourth quarter compared to a lot of other quarterbacks but guys end of the day pff passing grade he was tied for ninth yards per attempt he was 12th adjusted completion rate tied for seventh among 49 qualified quarterbacks so i'm not telling you to crown geno smith as you know this great quarterback is going to be here for the next decade at a minimum though he played well enough in 2022 to earn a starting spot somewhere in 2023 wouldn't be surprised at all if that somewhere is again in seattle on a franchise tag while they draft and develop someone else. The third quarterback who does seem to be a good candidate for the franchise tag is going to be, you know, what was the freaking meme going around? Um, Mr. Oh, 
you guys see that Daniel Jones meme? It's Daniel Jones. I kind of ruined it. Uh, Mr. Bad Guy or something like that. Pretty funny account. I love, uh, you know, Alex, the highlight heaven YouTube guy was going around with it. Funny uh, streets we got going on Twitter these days. But anyway, Daniel Jones, look, I get it. 3,200 passing yards, 15 scores through the air this year. That's not ideal, but the guy's vanilla Vic for a reason, over 700 rushing yards. And when literally week one came around and Darius Slate was a healthy scratch because it was supposed to be Tony Shepard and Galladay in three wide receiver sets, I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack here in terms of his passing numbers. So Daniel Jones got that playoff win. I know it didn't look pretty against the Eagles, but at a minimum, sounds like that he could be looking at the tag for this year. Another New York Giant that maybe gets it, maybe not. I'm sure they're going to prioritize Daniel Jones, but Saquon Barkley is one that's pretty interesting because as good of a story as Saquon was, and believe me, it was so much better this year than it was in 2021. We still didn't really see him get back to that 2018-2019 beast that I maintain. I mean, 2018 Saquon, for my money's worth, best running back I have seen. Best running back season I have seen in the NFL for at least the past 20 years. That's how freaking dominant and just how, you know, if he wasn't on my fantasy team, every time he touched the ball, I expected it to go to the freaking house. So, again... He got the 1,650 total yards. He got the 10 touchdowns this year. If you had him in fantasy, that was absolutely fine because guess what? He played the single most snaps of any running back in the entire league. He wasn't his usual self, though, in terms of just tackle-breaking ability. 27th in yards after contact per carry, tied for 30th in force missed tackles per carry. He was also outside of PFF's top 30 running backs in yards per route run and PFF receiving grade. And, you know, we continue to kind of see that boomer bust, hit or miss nature to his rushing game that the Giants you know we're really concerned about before the season started you know again i talk about yards after contact sometimes being skewed because your guy breaks an arm tackle at the line of scrimmage runs for 80 yards that's 80 yards after contact but it's like you know was it really is that what we're trying to measure there so what i like to do instead is look at the percentage of carries that running backs have that went for at least two or more yards after contact only two running backs this year got that on over 70% of their carries, Tyler Algier and A.J. Dillon. On the other side of things, there are only four running backs under the 60% threshold on that. We had, as you could guess, Saquon Barkley, Kenneth Walker, Jeff Wilson, and James Robinson. So look, in Barkley's case and Walker's case, it's more of a descriptive stat, like the way I'm using it right now. I mean, they're boomer bust running backs. You know, yeah, you don't get consistent maybe, you know, four or five yards from Saquon, but then you're not getting the 40-yard freaking burst that he can give you, you know, from the other running backs like, you know, a Tyler Hauser or A.J. Dillon, uh, you know, keeping with those guys. So with Saquon, again, if he's busting the big plays, that's fine. But when that was really throughout August and, you know, the summer, the main talking point that they're continually talking to uh, Saquon about, I'm just not so sure that he performed well enough for the Giants to go ahead and completely break the bank for him. Then again, maybe they just love the guy. Maybe they do it. Regardless, Saquon Barkley, if they don't franchise tag Daniel Jones, I could see him getting that. Also got to keep an eye on Las Vegas running, Las Vegas Raiders running back Josh Jacobs, first team All Pro. Obviously didn't get that fifth year option, so now Jacobs is the one with a little bit of power on his side of things. So he'll be 25 in February. I mean Jacobs. If you just look at all these running backs on the open market, Tony Pollard unfortunately suffering the broken fibula. Saquon again, my aforementioned concerns about his efficiency just not being incredible last year. Josh Jacobs probably the top overall running back on the free agent market if he does get there. 
mentioned Tony Pollard suffered that fractured left fibula during the Cowboys divisional round loss to the 49ers. Absolutely sucks when he is healthy. Oh my God, he's incredible. Only Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs have higher PFF rushing grades than Pollard since he entered the league in 2019. Dude's amazing. Here's the hoping that the Cowboys continue to pull back on Zeke and feature Pollard if he is healthy enough to do so. Because guys, it's I, I've been a Zeke defender here. I, I have been. You guys have heard me talk about it. But this last six-week stretch from Zeke was, I think, the worst six-week stretch I've ever seen him. This is some, coming from someone who has watched him really every single game he's played live more or less since 2014 when he was at Ohio State so I cannot remember a worse six-week stretch than what Zeke has put forward over these last six weeks his last 66 carries have 155 rushing yards Isaiah Pacheco's last 20 carries have 159 rushing yards and here's the thing with Zeke we know how gritty he is in the goal line. I mean, there's even that play against the 49ers, like third and one. They run that stupid fullback dive. Zeke had no business picking up the one yard, makes a dude miss in the backfield, you know, reaches the ball over for one yard. He has a role. He is an awesome goal line back. I wouldn't want to get in front of that dude on the freaking goal line, run my ass over, but it's gotten really bad. And I tried to even compensate for that because i think that's what we see sometimes it's like the pollard versus zeke stuff well zeke's being used in short yardage situations why would you expect his yards per carry to be as good as pollard's when you know zeke's in situations where they're just trying to get one or two yards and that's fair so i tried to quantify that and what i came up with is uh yeah terrible for zeke so i took away short yardage situations i looked at all down and distance plays that were four yards or more and then i looked at what running backs were averaging per carry and among 37 running backs with at least 100 plus carries Zeke came in 36 only Leonard Fournette was worse than Zeke in terms of yards per carry in non-short yarded situations also right in front of Zeke was Najee Harris so not exactly a great group to be with please be healthy Tony Pollard Finally, we do have Cowboys tight end Dalton Schultz. Hey, over the past three years, I mean, top seven numbers in receptions, receiving errors and receiving touchdowns. You know, the efficiency, we're not talking about, you know, a George Kittle or even a Dallas Goddard, in my opinion, in terms of a talent perspective. And kind of saw a little bit of that in the Cowboys ill-fated final drive there against the 49ers. But hey, again, Schultz. I don't think he's a top five tight end in the league. I don't think it's particularly close, but he has been productive more times than not more good times than bad times with the Cowboys. We will see if they again try to keep him in town under that franchise tag. All right, guys, that was one of the longer ones. <laughs> Obviously, I had a lot of franchise tags to get to, but we are officially on to question number two, and that is, is Tom Brady destined for the West Coast? His contract has voided with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it seems like, per Ian Rappaport, the two main favorites are going to be the 49ers or the Raiders. So, Either way, guys, we're looking at such a better situation. One a stat I've referenced throughout the season, a lot of times to talk about how good the Eagles were. Because, again, Jalen Hurts, he's incredible. But Jalen Hurts is incredible, as is that offensive line, as are A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Scott, or even the running back room is pretty good. But anyway, the way I was using to measure that, the way to measure the offensive environment is I took the average of PFF grades in receiving, rushing and then i combined the pass blocking and run blocking so the only thing i'm leaving out there is the passing so again we're trying to look at everything that's not directly impacted by the quarterback and if you look at that for the entire league this past season the buccaneers were 29th in the overall offensive environment just again averaging those pff grades the 49ers third the raiders fifth top two teams if you're interested were the eagles and the falcons and the falcons does do surprise me but their run game, Algier, Quadero Patterson, even Mariota was awesome. Their receivers, like, 
it's not like Kyle Pitts and Drake London suck. They just didn't have any volume. So I don't think we necessarily give them enough credit, but it's not like they're going out there and just hands a brick every game. And then the blocking, both pass and run blocking, fantastic. So hopefully Atlanta, you know, shout out Arthur Smith a little bit, a little bit here, guys. Like he did, he wants to run the ball a ton, but they do a really good job doing it. So that's just the quick explanatory uh, notion for that. All right, question number three. Did Baker Mayfield do enough to earn a starting job somewhere? I don't think so. America loves a comeback. I get it. This was still bad, though, guys. On the season, Carolina and the Rams, we're looking at him among 41 qualified quarterbacks. He's 38th in PFF passing grade, 35th in passer rating, 35th in yards per attempt, 39th in just completion rate. He was not good. And even with the Rams, man, we had that awesome game where they just blow out the Broncos, you know, send Nathaniel Hackett straight to his grave. But overall, Three of his five stars with the Rams, he couldn't even hit 150 passing yards. So, hey, wasn't a great situation. We saw Matthew Stafford struggling in this offense, but with Baker, I don't think it was a Geno Smith as season by any stretch of the imagination where we should necessarily be assuming Baker's going to be a starter somewhere. If anything, I wouldn't be shocked if the Rams try to keep Baker on board with Matthew Stafford not retiring, but who knows how he's going to be coming back from this neck injury. Question number four, what's next for Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, according to Kyle Shanahan, the NFC Championship, you know, is in potential play for him to get back in time, if not the Super Bowl. So Brock Purdy probably has played well enough for them to, at a minimum, let Jimmy G walk after this season. Also have Trey Lance in there. So Jimmy G, um, before he got hurt this year, he was doing his usual thing of just putting up really efficient numbers and leading a pretty damn good offense without making the most flashy plays in the world. But you do wonder, like, okay, Jimmy G, I think we've seen even this year, like, okay, enough QB2 and fantasy. It's not that Jimmy G is going to go somewhere. We're going to be losing our minds about trying to draft him in fantasy, but we could see him go somewhere and do what he did in San Francisco. And that's move the ball around game, manage games and help his teammates become sought after fantasy assets. The two teams I'd be most interested in seeing him go to and do just that are the New York Jets and the Washington Commanders. Jets obviously make the most sense with his former defensive coordinator, Robert Sala, now being their head coach. Question number five, will additional lesser quarterbacks manage to make a splash and emerge as surprise week one starters? Again, a lot of potential free agents out there at the quarterback position that I don't think are guaranteed by any stretch to go ahead and get a starting job, but we could see them be in that, you know, Jacoby Brissett, Marcus Mariota situation where they're kind of, you know, one year starter tied. So they're helping, you know, keep the ship afloat while they're trying to, you know, mold whatever rookies. So the guys that I think could be doing this. Teddy Bridgewater, Andy Dalton, Jacoby Brissett, Taylor Heineke, Sam Darnold, Cooper Rush, Joe Flacco, Mike White, Gardner Minshew, Case Keenum, Mason Rudolph, and my guy Drew Locke, among others. So, yes, I am pulling for Locke out of this group. Did you see the way that he showed that leadership and, you know, got that career best season out of Geno? We got to give Drew Locke credit for that, right? Tongue-in-cheek madness aside, I just love watching Drew Locke play football because when he's bad, like he's entertainingly bad, one fun metric I've used to help quantify this is basically taking PFF's big-time throw rate and their turnover-worthy play rate, taking the sum of those and seeing who makes the most really great plays and who makes the most really bad plays on a consistent basis. And since Drew Locke has come into the league, we have Jameis Winston, Geno Smith, Drew Locke, Josh Allen, and Matthew Stafford as the only quarterbacks where at least 9% of their dropbacks resulted in a big-time throw or turnover-worthy play. 
Question number six, moving on to running back now. What is the Buffalo Bills' next move at running back? Because we do have Devin Singletary as an unrestricted free agent. You know, they're obsessed with getting these scat backs that they end up not freaking throwing the football to. I mean, the fact that Singletary have more targets this year than Cook and Naeem Hines when he got to the Bills, at least combined, absolute madness there. So the problem just with the you know bills and we talked about this and just more teams like the eagles and the ravens the way josh allen and these dual threats quarterbacks play football it's not going to be good for the running backs and we've seen that each and every year for the bills so i made a little chart and tweeted out it's in my article as well where i basically looked at the expected fantasy points per game from every single team the backfield as a whole over these past three seasons to see who's had the most fantasy friendly opportunity for running backs consistently but then i also went ahead and looked at the points per game regular like team scoring 27 points per game that type of shit I looked at who's the best in that to try to see, okay, what offenses have been having really great fantasy-friendly workloads for their running backs and not even been a good offense, and which ones, you know, like, okay, the freaking Chargers and the 49ers and the Buccaneers, like, they're pretty awesome offenses, and they're also really high up. Like, that makes sense. But you see a team like the Washington Commanders, who actually have had the second highest average of expected fantasy points for their backfield over the past three years, despite ranking 27th in scoring. Why is that? Because we saw JD McKissick have more targets than anyone other than Alvin freaking Kamara from 2020 to 2021. And then last year was fine enough as well with Gibson and Brian Robinson getting plenty of work in an offense that really hasn't been employing too much of a dual threat quarterback in the recent years. So big notes, though, are at the bottom where, again, the bottom four least fantasy friendly backfields are the Ravens by far because they don't throw the ball to their running backs they keep rotating them and Lamar Jackson is going to eat into that pie then the Rams then the Texans then the Jaguars and the Seahawks which again comes down more to I think the targets than anything else also have two years with Russell Wilson and they're running a bit more than Geno Panthers Cardinals Bears and then the Bills so really when I look at this out of the let's see what four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve out of the bottom 12 teams only four of only five of them actually were an above average scoring offense the eagles the bills the cardinals the seahawks and the ravens that's what dual threat quarterbacks do guys so let's keep that in mind throughout the offseason because as much as we want jk dobbins and Whoever is going to be leading the Bills backfield, maybe James Cook, Kenneth Walker out here next year. You know, whoever's going to be replacing, eh, I don't know if he'll be replaced, James Conner for next season, but a new head coach. Just realize it's so tough for these guys to really make make it out in fantasy because they just have to make so much more out of their workload and running backs and more fantasy-friendly offenses in terms of their opportunity are doing elsewhere. Question number seven, will the Philadelphia Eagles decide to upgrade at running back? We got Miles Sanders and professional giant slayer Boston Scott, both as unrestricted free agents, leaving Kenneth Gamewell as the only running back of substance currently under contract ahead of 2023. So Gamewell, nice little divisional round game against the Giants in his own right. We know he has the pass game ability, but everything we've seen from this team, Nick Sirianni, even back before when he was with the Colts and things like that, I do think we're st still going to get a committee to an extent. And once again, like we just talked about i mean okay big badass offensive line top five scoring offense like we saw miles sanders have a good year and everything but that's the year you're gonna need because kenneth gamewell is gonna be there getting the targets and if it's gonna be not two backs but three backs with a mobile quarterback just gonna be difficult to rank anybody that's going to philly overly high of course you know maybe they'll take b john robinson at the end and go crazy with that um man i've been having a fun uh, new shtick on twitter guys where i basically just tweet 
let's add B. John Robinson to Team X and see what happens. And watching like fans, you know, the Jaguars fans were getting pissed off about, uh, you know, the ETN slander there. Cowboys fans were like, oh, we don't need another first round running back and all that. But I'm going to do all 32 teams over the course of the next few months before the draft and see uh, what fans actually want this guy the most. And the reason why I'm doing this is because we're about to watch, you know, draft experts spend the next three freaking months repeating the same shit about Bijan about look how grave a player is. He does everything. But can you use a first round pick on a running back? And we're going to have the same freaking echo chamber for the next three months because no shit, B. John Robinson is going to be a great running back in any offense he goes to. A freaking 10 year old could watch highlights for two minutes and tell you that. Let's not try to, you know, make our job out to be rocket science sometimes as much as some might want it to be. That rant aside, let's get to question number eight. Will the Miami Dolphins choose to roster a running back next season? I'm going to go with yes here, but it will be interesting to see who that is. Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Miles Gaskin all un- are all unrestricted free agents. Even Salvin Ahmed is a restricted free agent. So one another cool study I did. Looking at some of this backfield work, I talked before about the expected points based on the dual threat quarterbacks, but another thing I wanted to look at was what offenses were actually willing to hand their running back a workhorse role, because I remembered, you know, Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert, it seemed like the Dolphins really were willing to feature their running backs more so than other teams, and to an extent they were. If you look at it last year, the only, let's see, only eight or so teams that actually gave their running back 60% of the offense's snaps in 80% or more games. So this just means that, again, I know a lot of percentages, a lot of numbers flying around, but 60% plus snaps is a solid lead RB1 number. So these are teams that are consistently giving whoever their RB1 is a pretty nice workload. The Cardinals, the Giants, the Colts, the Raiders, the Vikings, the Bears, the Bengals, the Saints, and the Dolphins. So again, with Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert, periodically when we were sure who the back was going to be, we saw Mike McDaniel be willing to hand them pretty much a bell cow workhorse role. Hopefully we get that cemented, ingrained for a Dolphins offense that did give us more good than bad in 2023. Final note before I move on, because this was a pretty cool little study I did. Only five teams actually had like a true workhorse willing. I'm talking 90% plus snaps in over 10% of their games. The Cardinals, by far, Cliff Kingsbury and James Conner, we talked about this, but I could see that changing under new coaches here ahead of 2023. The Giants and the Patriots both had 18% of their games with a running back at over 90% of the snaps. Saquon Barkley, obviously, and Ramondre Stevenson, where, hey, that's one of the lessons, you know, I I think we were talking about it on one of these past uh, podcasts where Ramondre, yeah, I missed on him a little bit. I mocked the idea about all the injuries that had to happen for him to get the job. And fantasy gods told me to F right off. A lot of those injuries happened, but Ramondre needed to be good enough in order to get that full-time three down roll. If it was handed to him and make something happen with it, credit to him for doing just that final two teams that again, were really willing to feature one single workhorse, the Buccaneers, whether that be Leonard Fournette or Rashad White, and also the Indianapolis Colts. Low key guys before Jonathan Taylor, unfortunately got hurt and had to miss the rest of the season. I mean, once they did send Naeem Hines to Buffalo, Taylor was barely ever leaving the field. So it's one of those things where I don't think Taylor's going to be making it outside the top, you know, three or five picks and the heavy majority of fantasy drafts, but God forbid people, you know, are too worried about this year. Jonathan Taylor, big time bounce back potential in 2023 and beyond. 
the five teams, by the way, that didn't even have a single game with a running back over 75% of the snaps, Eagles, Falcons, Commanders, Chiefs, Lions, and Ravens. Those were the most like workhorse adverse, I should say, committees in the NFL. So yeah, J.K. Dobbins faithful, DeAndre Swift faithful, you know, Isaiah Pacheco truthers, Antonio Gibson truthers, Tyler Algier and Cordero Patterson stands, as well as Miles Sanders hopeful. You guys did not have too much to smile about in terms of those end of game snap rates in 2022. Question number eight. Well, I'm sorry. Question number nine. We are flying. Let's go, people. Question number nine. Will the Chicago Bears finally unleash Khalil Herbert? Because we got Dave Montgomery sitting there as an unrestricted free agent. So I don't know that Montgomery is going to earn, you know, a ton of interest on the open market, but he's quality. And if he doesn't come back to Chicago, all of a sudden we could have Khalil Herbert getting featured like never before. And I think he deserves it. So this is like kind of a middle-class man's version of the Pollard Zeke thing. I think Montgomery has at least over these past two years objectively been better than Zeke, but I think Pollard's been a lot better than, uh, you know, Khalil Herbert and pretty much any other running back, honestly, not trying to slight Herbert here, but it's just not quite as big of a gap, I think, as with the Cowboys. That's why I say a middle-class man's version. So credit to Montgomery. He has had better PFF grades, at least, uh, over the last two seasons since Herbert has joined the crew in terms of PFF receiving grade and in terms of pass blocking grade. So Montgomery, I see why they keep him on the field, you know, in pass for situations, but running the ball hasn't even been close. Yards per carry, Herbert 5, Montgomery 3.9. Yards after contact per carry, 0.6 advantage in favor of Herbert. They're forcing the same amount of tackles per carry. PFF rushing grade, easily Herbert 86 to 70. So Smaller sample size, I get that's part of it. At the same time, though, after looking at some of the extra numbers, you know, my yak and percentage of carries with two plus yards after contact, even carries with eight plus defenders in the box, really has been pretty pretty even between the two guys. So Khalil Herbert will be a lot of fun to see him finally get that workload that his talents have shown us uh, he deserves in a small sample size. Question number 10, what will this Kansas City Chiefs backfield look like in 2023? Both Jarek McKinnon and Ronald Jones are unrestricted free agents, and I'm sure Pacheco will be factoring into this equation again. Only 15 targets in 18 games, though, this season. Don't see him being that featured pass game option. So we'll have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire allegedly returning and healthy. Maybe just maybe they finally use him like the receiver they drafted him to be in the first round because that's going to be the more fantasy-friendly role. If we look at it after CEH was injured in Week 11, so we weeks 12 through you know divisional round now mckinnon actually averaged 12.2 expected ppr points per game 11.1 for pacheco so look i don't know if we're ever going to be getting the brian westbrook the shady mccoy jamal charles kareem hunt type of years out of andy Reid's running backs again because they have patrick mahomes and he can lead the nfl in passing yards any season he wants to basically so why waste a bunch of time running the football, especially if you don't have a running back as good as any of those guys I just mentioned. Just realize monitoring who is going to win this pass down role. Maybe Jared McKinnon just comes back. That would make a lot of sense. That's the guy we should be prioritizing for the most part in 2023. Wouldn't be surprised at all if we see McKinnon come back and then all of a sudden, you know, Pacheco's the one with this real gaudy ADP. McKinnon becomes the quality late round dart and the workload that might not even be all that much different. Question number 11, is it finally Nick Chubb workhorse RB season? Maybe. We got Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson as unrestricted free agents, and we have seen slowly but surely the Browns put a little bit more on Chubb's uh, plate, at least when they have had Hunt also in the equation. So in 2020, Nick Chubb was the RB 28 in expected PPR points per game. He was the RB 9 and realized that kid. 
you guys know how ridiculous that is? Like Nick Chubb literally had the workload of an RB3 in 2020, and he still posted top 10 numbers because that's how freaking good he is at football. In 2021, he was the RB20 in expected PPR points, RB12 in real points. 2022, RB18 in expected PPR points per game, RB8 in real points. So top three back in yards per carry, yards after contact, missed tackles forced per carry over these past, you know, during his entire career, I should say since 2018. Let's get him a freaking three down roll. Come on, Nick Chubb, if you want to say he is the single best running back, the single best player with the football in his hands, I will not disagree with you. Let's feed the man. I don't think he's a big enough liability in the past game, similar to Derrick Henry, to just completely take him off the field for someone like a Jerome Ford or whoever else are going to be able to sign in free agency. I mean, since 2018, his drop rate is 5.5%. I mean, that's 21st among 58 running backs. Hell of a lot of guys that you firmly think are better receivers than Nick Chubb with a far worse drop rate than that. Question number 12, where will the NFL's rushing touchdown leader land? I'm, of course, talking about Jamal Williams. So we'll be interesting if Williams, who is an unrestricted free agent, goes elsewhere. But if he stays, man, I just hope we can get this backfield down to two parties because there was far too much Craig Reynolds and Justin Jackson to feel overly great about either Swift or Jamal Williams, honestly, down the stretch. So we had some decent games. But guys, I mean, when DeAndre Swift came back in weeks eight, we have week eight to week 18 and Dan Campbell kind of telling us throughout that he still wasn't completely sold about his health. But, you know, when he's out there playing for a freaking 11 week stretch, I mean, they're not going to feature him then. Like, I don't know why we would expect that workload necessarily change in 2023 because, hey, let's face it, Swift did stay healthier in that stretch when he wasn't getting the ball as much. But just the RB24 and expected PPR points per game. So, hey, maybe Swift can pull Nick Chubb put up RB1 numbers, you know, with RB2 usage, but these are not the situations that I want to splurge on. Moving on from Williams, that will be a good first step for DeAndre Swift. Truthers getting back on the right side of things in 2023. Question number 13, are the Carolina Panthers content with their post-CMC backfield? Deontay Foreman is an unrestricted free agent, so we only have Chuba Hubbard and Raheem Blackshare. Haven't quite gone through and gotten all my available carries and targets and all that stuff figured out, but just from Deontay Foreman and what McCaffrey did during his time on the Panthers, I mean, that's 326 touches up for grab, up for grabs in Carolina. So Chuba's fine. I mean, I think he could factor in the equation, but if we see the Panthers, you know, use day one capital or day two capital on the position, could be a situation like a slightly better version of, you know, the Houston Texans and Damian Pierce, where I know he was even a day three guy, but just a situation where there's so much available opportunity, pretty tough to ignore. Question number 14 was 2022, just the beginning of Ramondre Stevenson balling the hell out. Maybe, guys. I mean, he was freaking good. Again, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the workload that he was able to earn and then handle at the top of the league, truly. I mean, top seven running backs last year in terms of expected PPR points per game. Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, CMC, Saquon, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, and in seventh place, Ramondre freaking Stevenson. So Damon Harris is an unrestricted free agent. We could see, you know, your Ty Montgomery's come back. Your Pierre Strong's having a bigger role in year two. It's the Patriots. Who the hell knows? Maybe James White comes out of retirement. Probably not, but you can imagine. We do now have Bill O'Brien calling plays as well. So with that in mind, you know, I feel honestly better about Bill O'Brien being there than I did about Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick because, you know, Josh McDaniels and everything in the past, we had just seen, obviously, I know McDaniels went to the Raiders this year, but looking at the sample size we had for the Patriots remaining, it was terrible. That's why, unfortunately, I wasn't as high on Stevenson or Josh Jacobs. Bill O'Brien, though, I mean, 
I get it in Houston. It wasn't exactly the prettiest uh, situation out there, but we did have a couple years there where Lamar Miller was getting featured. And if Ramondre Stevenson can get that sort of Lamar Miller role, will be really good for his fantasy stock. But yes, losing Damian Harris would be a really good first start for Ramondre. Question number 15, just how sick in the head could the Seattle Seahawks be when looking at their running back room? Here's the thing, guys. Kenneth Walker, I, offensive rookie of the year, fantasy rookie of the year for me. Like I, I'm not a hater by any stretch of the imagination. I think he can catch the ball. I'm still not convinced the Seahawks trust him to. If you look at it, DJ Dallas and Travis Homer had 36 targets. Walker had 35. And I think the pass protection woes were the issue there. Walker, 42nd among 47 qualified running backs this year in terms of PFF pass blocking grade. Look, beggars can't be choosers. Walker had 15-plus touches in every single one of his non-injury-induced 11 starts. But, again, if we don't have that feature pass game role, we're talking about the difference between jamming him in the top five, you know, next to Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey versus settling him in more so around that top 10, top 12, where we just have, you know, your Joe Mixons of the world where, yeah, we're still getting a lot of touches. We're still starting him in lineups of all shapes and sizes, but maybe we don't have, you know, that five to seven target per game ceiling that we really need to see guys completely break fantasy football so that's the one concern the second thing though guys because again i can live with walker only getting you know two or three targets per game and then he has 15 plus carries because again you know how many running backs do still even exist that get you know completely force fed the ball what if rashad penny comes back I know the man can't stay healthy. It is a laundry list of injuries, man. He does not deserve the benefit of the doubt to stay healthy, but he's been really freaking good when healthy. Not long, but when he has been healthy over these past two years. NFL high 6.2 yards per carry. And that's with over 150 carries. I mean, Tony Pollard and Nick Chubb are tied for second. They're only at 5.3. So with Rashad Penny, man, again, so many freaking injuries. I mean, here, I'll read them off real quick. Since this dude came into the NFL, he fractures his finger, he strained his knee, strained his hamstring, tore his ACL, and ended up having that unfortunate like micro, um, what do they call it, micro freaking surgery in your knee. It's terrible, and it impacted him for a long time. Another knee strain, a calf strain, another hamstring pull, and then he breaks his leg for good measure last season. So Rashad Penny, it just goes to show you, I mean, it's a good case study that, once again, we don't know as much as we think we do about injuries because this guy, one of the reasons he was drafted in the first round, I believe the Seahawks brought it up after they took him. Like they thought that he was going to be more durable because he never got injured in San Diego State at college. And then he comes to the NFL and instantly can't stay healthy. So please get healthy. Rashad Penny. Just realize, guys, I mean, it's a situation where it kind of reminds me of um Raheem Mostert in San Francisco. Two years ago, when he unfortunately got hurt right out of the gate, which could happen with Rashad Penny, and even to a lesser extent, Miami, uh, this last season, where we had the up upstart, you know. Who was the guy coming in San Francisco when most of guy? Oh, it was Trey Sermon. So I know Walker's way more established than Trey Sermon at this point. But if Rashad Penny is healthy, which five-month recovery time, allegedly, from when he broke his leg in October, so he should be more than good to go for you know most of the offseason program. If Rashad Penny's back in Seattle, it could be a dreaded three or four-back committee, guys. I don't want it to happen. I want every committee to have one running back that never gets hurt. But unfortunately, we don't live in that world. If Rashad Penny comes back to Seattle, they could do something close to what we saw at the beginning of last year, which was Penny working hand-in-hand -in -hand and honestly ahead of Walker in a major way. 
All right, guys, I got way more cool questions to go through. First, I want to give a shout out to some of our lovely sponsors for NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer, you can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped up same game parlays. Take a shot at an even bigger NFL pay cut and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. PFF Fantasy Football Podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's Playbook of Life Insurance, Investment, and Retirement Solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Also, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up the playoff football season. It's underdog fantasy and their pick 'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick 'em entry. Get all your picks right and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head on over to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up with promo code PFF and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. All right, guys. Question 16 here. Right back at it. We're going to have some teams that are going to need some new handcuffs. So the question is which teams will need them. But specifically, again, not the biggest movers. These are going to be, you know, I don't even know if we'll have our Schefters and I'm sure they'll get the engagement. Who am I kidding? But we're not going to have, you know, complete full-blown discourse over these changes. But it could be enough to change some handcuff rankings and potentially boost guys like Joe Mixon, you know, like your Kenneth Walkers, those type of guys up a few spots from where they would be otherwise. So specifically the Bengals with Samaj Pirine being an unrestricted free agent. The Vikings have Alexander Madison as an unrestricted free agent. The Giants with Matt Breida, the Jaguars with Jermichael Hasty, who low key out snapped Travis Etienne in their final game. What the hell was that about? The Titans with Dontrell Hilliard. Remember how Derrick Henry was catching a lot more passes down the stretch. There was a reason for that. It's because Hillier was hurt and with the Eagles boss and Scott where I know Gamewell is also involved and we got to worry about Miles Sanders in the first place but again the Giants slayer out there I saw um I think it was a Giants fan on Twitter just saying like number one free agent move we got to go out there and sign Boston Scott I'm just so tired of it so funny tweet by that gentleman there but yeah we'll see there specifically out of those guys though Joe Mixon Travis Etienne and Derrick Henry what I think really benefit from their team not resigning a running back that we've seen in Pirine Hasty and Doncho Hilliard arguably be better or at least have more trust from the coaching staff in the passing game. Question number 17, are we about to see more wide receiver contracts that generally make people gasp? I think so. So again, looking at this group, it's just not good, guys. I guess Odo Beckham is a headliner free agent. It looks like the Saints are going to cut Michael Thomas. We do have Juju Smith-Schuster out there. I mean, Jacoby Myers, DJ Chark, but you guys already hear the names I'm freaking going to. Not pretty. Best names are either already re-signed or not going to be available until 2024. And just so you guys know, generally, players leaving their team for someone else in free agency, it turns out bad. When there's big money involved, you'll see guys get the opportunity 
but smart NFL teams usually don't let really good players walk away for free. I know they can get the comp picks and all that, but usually big difference between guys getting traded and guys signing elsewhere and teams being okay with that. So, I mean, this is hardly safe for work, but here are the following receivers that have signed contracts worth at least 40 million with a new team in free agency since 2016. Christian Kirk, 84 million with the Jaguars. That's worked so far. Great job. Kenny Galladay, 72 million with the Giants. Sheesh. Sammy Watkins, 48 million with the Chiefs. Sheesh. Pierre Garcon, 47.5 million with the 49ers. Sheesh. Allen Robinson, 45 million with the Rams. Sheesh. Tyrell Williams, 44.3 million with the Raiders. Sheesh. Allen Robinson, 42 million with the Bears. Okay. That was cool. A Rob had some good years with the Bears. Paul Richardson, 40 million with the Commanders. Sheesh. I miss Pete Rich, guys. He had some fun years in Seattle. And finally, Marvin Jones, 40 million with the Lions. And that was okay enough as well. We kept talking about it, or not we, but I think it was Romo, whoever was doing that Jaguars game. By the way, Romo's had some rough, rough commentating uh, games, if you ask me. But anyway, they kept talking about, like, again, completely washed Marvin Jones at this point, going up there and being that contested catch maestro. My goodness, guys, prime Marvin Jones, you know, catching some of those heaves from Stafford, Andy Dolan with the Bengals before that prime Marvin Jones was a baller out there, but yeah, guess what? Wide receivers go get a ton of money to sign elsewhere. Usually not good. Be careful about overly bumping them up in the fantasy ranks. I'm not saying you can't, can't draft them. Look at Christian Kirk. He was going outside like top 40 receivers for most of last off season. Just would not, you know, completely, be willing to buy a premium on a guy like you know Kenny Galladay, Sammy Watkins uh, when they're going to new places. Question number 18 Was 2022 really a return to form for Juju Smith Schuster? Well, he was not. This year's Cooper Cup, I think we can say that safely. Finished as the wide receiver 33 in PPR points per game. Did have his most receiving yards with 933 since he did in 2018. It has been rough here down the stretch. Four straight games now with 35 or fewer scoreless yards and only 11 targets in that stretch. I mean, that's fifth on the team. And think about this. Last four games, Juju has 11 targets. Like Justin Watson has nine. Sky Moore has seven. So they're really not going out of their way to feed Juju the ball. And I don't think it's a coincidence in this stretch has been when Kadarius Tony has gotten more and more involved in the offense so juju was fine this year he's 31st in yards per out run 39th in pff receiving grade the best thing he did and this surprised me seventh most yards after the catch per reception now i thought okay he's getting the low a dot stuff a lot of times when you look at this leaderboard you'll see a couple freaks aj brown you know josh gordon types where they have you know an elevated a dot and they get a lot of yards after the catch a lot of times so yards after the catch more so guys like rondale Moore, like these sort of receivers that aren't even moving that far downfield so when they catch the ball you know these are plays designed to get the yards after the catch that said though shout out next gen stats they have a cool metric that helps you look at yards after the catch above expectation fifth among wide receivers in that metric so i think an encore in kc would be best for juju's personal fantasy aspirations and he'd be you know a quality wide receiver three in that situation but good to see him be a bit more healthy again i don't think he's back to the guy we saw in 2017 or 2018 i certainly don't think that we're looking at you know next year's version of cooper cup or anything like that juju smith schuster though at least prove they can go out there and be a good wide receiver again in the year 2022 Question number 19, why doesn't Jacoby Myers get any respect as an efficient machine? So Jacoby is very good at football. I think he could be this year's like Christian Kirk guys, like the efficient, 
not the sexiest wide receiver in terms of, you know, pause, first of all, but in terms of, you know, highlights and big plays and stuff, like, I don't think, you know, we're watching red zone all the time, just telling our friends afterwards, like, man, that's Jacoby Myers. Like, okay, I guess after the Raiders game, we were saying that for the wrong reasons, but in general, I don't think Jacoby is all that appreciated. I think he's going to get paid a lot because this class is lacking potentially like at the bears or someone might overpay on Jacoby Myers, but I still think he's a very good receiver. I think he'll get paid very good money. I think people will scoff at that. And then I think he'll go out this year and be a very good receiver, making very good money and being thus a good asset for his team, a la what Christian Kirk was able to do this year. So, hey, six trips to the end zone this last year. I mean, that's four more than he had in 2019, 2020, and 2021 combined. Again, I'm sure we'll have some Twitter NPCs, you know, yelling at whoever gives uh, Jacoby a lot of money. But if you look at him, since entering the league among 129 qualified wide receivers, 38th in PFF receiving grade, 35th in targets per route run, 36 in yards per route run. Hey, 100, 115 targets for Jacoby Myers. You could do worse. Question number 20, just how good was DJ Chark when healthy last season? Pretty good, guys. The dude's got a pretty solid, you know, minute, minute, 15 seconds highlight reel. And not every receiver can go out there and say it. So pretty average in terms of PFF receiving grade, yards per out run. I mean, those are, you know, around the 40 to 50 kind of mark amount or among most of, these wide, most of these wide receivers, excuse me. But what he did show he could do is stretch that field. 16.7 yards per catch. That was fifth among 80 qualified wide receivers last season. And again, these highlights are pretty damn nice, guys. First game of the year, he scores a touchdown on Darius Slay from 20 yards out. Obviously was forced to miss a ton of time. Comes back, though, and has a nice little revenge game against the Jaguars. He's making dope downfield catches against the Vikings and Bears. I mean, the dude's six foot three, 199 pounds. He was clocked back in the day with a 4'3", 440. DJ Chark, guys, he's still only 26 years old. It sucks he's only played 15 games over these past two years. I would not be surprised at all if we see him actually land himself a pretty solid, you know, three, four-year deal that could push past, you know, 30, 40 million. I mean, again, the fact that I'm already talking about someone like DJ Chark is one of the best available wide receivers. Wouldn't be surprised at all if he ends up being someone that again gets a ton of attention. So I do think that you know the Chargers would be a really fun team to see him go to. I mean, I don't think that Chark, you know, should necessarily be relied on as this number one or anything like that. But if DJ Chark is like your wide receiver three, even uh, you know, wouldn't love him being your wide receiver too, but certainly someone that I think could certainly take a passing game from good to arguably great. Question number 21, what the hell is going on with New Orleans Saints and Michael Thomas? So from Nick Underhill, they have restructured his contract where the Saints would have to pay Thomas a $31 million bonus if he makes the team's final roster, as well as another $30 million bonus if he's active for four games next season. That means that he is going to get released unless things get reworked. So that's possible, but he does turn 30 in March and he's played in just 10 regular season games over the past three seasons combined. So all-time single-season reception leader. Last year, he went out there. He scored three touchdowns, had three good games, and his only three games played, despite facing guys like A.J. Terrell and, you know, his seemingly faux rival in the world, Carlton Davis, still made some plays. And lest we forget, dude was catching passes from Jameis, Andy Dalton, and Taysom Hill for the better part of these past three seasons. So, hey, Michael Thomas, I'm very confident that the best years of his career are in the past. Need to make sure he's healthy. But hey, 80% of what even used to be Michael Thomas still could help a lot of teams. Would like to see him hopefully get more of a complimentary role somewhere. But there's some teams that could use him, guys. Could you imagine like the Chiefs let Juju go walk for a ton then just get Michael Thomas back on a cheaper deal? Wow. 
don't know. Chiefs are going to be this team, though, you know, Chiefs and Packers for the past few years where it's like, oh, can you imagine this guy in Kansas City? Like, yeah, every fucking wide receiver would be awesome in Kansas City. So I'll work on that, but you guys get it. Finally, we do have some complimentary pieces that I think could land some bigger roles elsewhere. So a couple fun matchmaking uh, versions here. Miko Hardman, who's an unrestricted free agent. What if he goes to the Bills, guys? You know, just a little bit better version of Isaiah McKenzie. and give them some juice in the return game as well whenever he's catching the ball. Not the greatest ball, you know, downfield ball tracker, but Miko Hardman, again, does give you some juice, especially in the underneath areas of the field. Paris Campbell potentially to the Los Angeles Chargers. I would love to see that. He gives them some much-needed yak juice. And then also, we have seen be able, at least more so than he did at Ohio State, move down the field a bit as well. So Paris Campbell, you know, this year, atrocious quarterback situation from start to finish, but he still managed to give us some pretty solid weeks there in fantasy, particularly when Matt Ryan was under center. So Paris Campbell, the Chargers, man. And spare me the how much help does Justin Herbert need what quarterback doesn't need help in you know today's age? You know, Brock Purdy, okay, I guess he's the one guy that can just get by, you know, without elite weapons around him. I kid, I kid, but you know, I'm not saying like Paris Campbell, I think he's gonna be a cheap receiver, probably not fetching more than five or so million per year. And I think he adds a different dimension to this Chargers offense. So that's all. I'm not trying, you know, DJ Chark's probably gonna be too expensive, you know. Jalen Guyton's a cheap one. I think they can bring back. Unfortunately, when he got hurt, that sadly, you know, took away their real their, their downfield element to this offense. So Paris Campbell, maybe coax Will Fuller out of retirement, wherever the hell he's doing right now. Just one more piece to get some damn speed on this field and hopefully give uh, you know, Justin Herbert a reason to throw the ball more than seven yards downfield a bit more often. I'd like to see Sammy Watkins to the Rams just to play one week. That's it. And that's uh, all I got to say. Jarvis Landry to the Ravens. Has this has a fitting, has a matchmaking wide receiver potential destination ever made more sense than Jarvis Landry to the Ravens? I actually checked his pro football reference because I was like, all right, he hasn't already played for the Ravens, right? Like this just seems way too perfect. And I can confirm that he has not done that. So Jarvis Landry, you know, was really banged up this past season. But look, veteran receivers not known for like winning with overwhelming speed they finished their career with the ravens it's just what they do anquan bolden michael crabtree des bryant spent a year there after he left the cowboys i mean they just freaking got sammy Watkins in the fold here you know i know deshaun jackson kind of broke that mortal over but there's another big time veteran they signed steve smith back in the day yes Jarvis landry to the ravens make it happen and finally, Jamison Crowder, maybe the Seahawks, if he's healthy. I do think that Geno could use a reliable underneath slot when Crowder is hopefully healthy. All right, question number 23, best potential trade destinations for DeAndre Hopkins. Can you guys guess number one? Of course, the Kansas City Chiefs, but just some other ones that, again, I think have the best combination of a lot of opportunity and a great quarterback. Buffalo would be fun, even though I do agree they probably need a little bit more of a speed type, but it's DeAndre Hopkins. You know, he's going to make all 32 teams better out there. Green Bay, a lot of opportunity. Great quarterback. We can dream. I'm sure they won't add anything to the room. Giants, lots of opportunity. Good QB. Okay. Bears, a lot of opportunity. Upside QB. Patriots, lots of opportunity. Average QB, especially if Jacoby Myers walks. Ravens, Decent opportunity just with Bateman and Mark Andrews. Great QB and the Titans, decent opportunity and a good QB. So those would be, again, the seven more squads that I do think could help Hopkins put up some pretty damn nice fancy numbers as he did when not suspended or hurt in 2022. 
Brandon Cooks, have we already seen the best of him? He will be 30 in September. And you know, guys, as we get into a little bit of dynasty conversation here during this offseason, that is typically the age cliff for wide receivers. So I haven't updated this from last year, but looking at the research I did do last year, which covered the previous decade, the percentage of top 12 fantasy producers by age over the last 10 years for wide receivers. Again, the drop-off comes big time right after that age 29 season. So really quarterback and tight end are the only positions that we've consistently seen guys in their thirties or beyond put up any sort of, you know, consistent high-end fantasy productions for running backs. Usually after age 26 is when things start getting rough, especially after age 28 wide receivers, again, really do start to hit that cliff at age 29 so i don't think cooks looked super washed last season that said if we do see him you know going to the rams or some he's already played for the rams but he could go back we were talking before about the high price you know free agents going elsewhere He's a little bit, a little bit more unique in ter- terms of the team that's trading for him. He's clearly going to need to have a plan, but I would just, you know, be a little bit cautious about Cooks. Age history tells us we've probably already seen the best years of his career. Question number twenty-five: OBJ watch. I mean, yeah, kind of already worn out from this though and this is coming from a long time you know obj truth or supporter and all that going on but it's just like what the hell is going on at this point jay glazer who for my money's worth is you know probably the best reporter in the game or at least when he says something i mean he means it i wish he'd you know make a habit of telling us more than five minutes for kickoff but that's his thing he makes us all listen okay but he reported in early november that obj was expecting to be cleared to return for football in like that week basically then we had the cowboys down the stretch basically say okay no we're not doing this right now he's not gonna be back for 2023 or excuse me not gonna be back for 2022 and then all of a sudden you know we do hear obj himself say ah now we're gonna go ahead and do this in march anyway so Seemingly, we'll be more healthy after taking this entire season off. Here's to hoping we get OBJ, the Super Bowl champ, back on the field somewhere in 2023. Question number 26. Can someone please just use Mike Desicki as a wide receiver? I would love it. Six foot six, 247 pounds, four five speed. Why not, guys? I mean, we saw him last year get used a lot more as an inline tight end than he did in the previous year. And just unfortunately couldn't stay on the field because Mike McDaniel took their franchise tag tight end and tried to force him to be something he was not. Ultimately, couldn't even get him out there on the field. That said, 2020, he was a tight end nine in PPR points per game. And he was a tight end 15. In 2021. So we have seen Mike Tosicki be more than capable of providing solid fantasy production. I hope he just goes and gets to play that big slot role that he was born to do somewhere in 2023. Question 27 Was Evan Ingram's breakout 2023 campaign a sign of even bigger things to come? Maybe. Doug Peterson does seem to be the tight end whisperer. I mean, we had career best marks from Ingram in receptions and receiving yards. Only one of seven players to catch at least 15 passes that gained 15 plus yards. So certainly some explosive plays. And he only was charged with three drops on the entire season. As Giants fan knows, Giants fans know that was a big time problem during his career with the Giants. He had 12 drops during his final two seasons with the Giants. 12 drops alone as a rookie. Good to see those hands get fixed. And look, so... I will say, I mentioned that track record of uh, wide receivers earlier being bad at tight end guys. It is even worse. I mean, Ingram's one of the only guys to really go out there and put up a big time year. In terms of guys that have gone multi-year big money deals at tight end, there's literally just like no hits here. I mean, here are the largest free agent tight end contracts. Again, signed with a new team since 2016. Johnu Smith with the Patriots, 50 million. Sheesh. Austin Hooper with the Browns, 42 million. Sheesh. Hunter Henry with the Patriots, 38 million. Not great. 
Kobe Flaner with the Saints, 36 million. What a name. Oh, guys, I fell so hard for Kobe Flaner back in 2016. That one hurts. But yeah, sheesh. Trey Burton with the Bears, 32 million. That's a sheesh. Funny story. Well, it's not really funny, I guess. Kind of sad, but weird story, I should say, about Trey Burton. When he was with the uh, Bears, Trey Burton can throw. Like you guys, you guys freaking know. You saw him do the Philly special. Dude can throw the football. Played quarterback, you know, on and off at Florida in college, really athletic guy. The Bears ran a Philly special that year in 2018. I believe Tariq Cohen threw the touchdown to Anthony Miller. Getting some names going, guys. How's that for memory? They run the Philly special. It gets into overtime. And it came out afterwards that the play was supposed to be Trey Burton running the Philly special. And he literally like told Matt Nagy and the coaching staff, like, I can't throw the ball. I can't do the Philly special again. It was too emotional of a moment after he completed it in the Super Bowl. I, again, it's just weird. I don't know. I've never completed a Philly special pass in the Super Bowl. So I guess I shouldn't be shaming Trey for not wanting to do it again. But man, they paid you 32 million bucks. Like you're you used to play a lot of quarterback, throw the ball. I don't know. Crazy story. Jimmy Graham with the Packers, $30 million contract. Sheesh. Jesse James with the Lions, $28.5 million. Sheesh. CJ Uzoma, $24 million with the Jets. Sheesh. Martellus Bennett, 30, I'm sorry, $20 million with the pack with the Packers. Sheesh. Oh my gosh. Ladarius Green with the Steelers. There's a name. $20 million. Sheesh. Tyler Croft Bills, $19 million. Sheesh. Rhett Olson, freaking Deion Sims, and Jimmy Graham with the Giants and Bears. Don't forget that Jimmy Graham Bears contract had a no trade clause as well. All got $18 million. Sheesh, sheesh, and sheesh. All right, guys. Two more. Appreciate you always sticking with me here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Question 28. Who is New Orleans Saints tight end in the future because it's not Taysom Hill, right? Please, no. We call Taysom Hill the one position that he spends the least amount of time at. Truly, more snaps at quarterback and wide receiver day and is an inline tight end. And when you consider when he's at quarterback, he's basically just, you know, a bowling ball running back. I would be more fine with Taysom Hill being called a QB, RB, wide receiver, or a flex that can't be used as a tight end. Like any of those things for me are better than what he is right now as a tight end. We have an entire off season to fix this. I am begging you Yahoo ESPN sleeper FFPC MFL fantasy freaking websites of all shapes and sizes for the love of God, take away Taysom Hill's tight end eligibility. He doesn't play tight end. I feel like I'm taking freaking crazy pills. Zero, zero. He didn't have one target all season lined up as a true inline tight end. How can a guy that did not have a single target playing tight end be called a tight end? Is that fair? I think it's fair. But yeah, Nick Vanette, unrestricted free agent. Jawan Johnson is a restricted free agent. You know, these restricted free agents, obviously, the team has a lot better chance of bringing them back. And he did catch seven touchdowns last season. Hopefully, they get Jawan back. Nick Vanette back, someone I played against in high school. That dude was a freaking monster over there at Westerville Central. Hopefully, he, you know, finds another spot somewhere. But yeah, Taysom Hill, just my way of saying, please, for the love of God, take away this dude's tight end eligibility. And the final question, number 29, will the Green Bay Packers try to add some capable pass catchers in free agency for once? They need to. Shout out to Over the Cap, my favorite place to go to for all salary cap needs. But I took every single team's money devoted to players in 2023 by position and looked at who's spending the most on wide receiver and tight end combined. So just the pass catchers involved. Again, things will change as contracts are voided, guys are traded, franchise tagged, and all that. But only four teams have fewer than $20 million devoted to their wide receiver and tight end rooms in 2023. 
The Falcons come in at fourth, 19.6 million. You know, Pitts, Drake London, they have tried to invest in it. Unfortunately, they're not just not unfortunately, they're just still on rookie contracts. That's why they don't cost much. Indianapolis Colts, 18.4 million. Similar sentiment, but losing Paris Campbell. I mean, they certainly could use a couple more wide receivers there in Indy. Number two, the Chicago Bears, 16.7 million. Yeah, please, guys, something. Are, are we if they move on from Justin Fields, I know it's going to be for Bryce Young, who's an incredible quarterback in his own right. But if we have to move on or they say, you know what, we've seen everything we need to see from Justin Fields throwing the football and like unironically Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool will be the best wide receivers he's gone throw the ball to not fair, but yes, number one, 11.3 million, 5.4 million less than the next closest team your green bay packers that's all they have devoted to the wide receivers and tight ends so they paid up on defense you know aaron Rodgers quote came out there where gronk was giving him shit saying he still thinks he can play at an mvp level elsewhere i mean isn't Rodgers playing at an mvp level going to help them achieve the whole super bowl goal so i don't know i don't think gronk needs to be freaking out about that but whatever Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers. Let's get the guy some help because every freaking quarterback in the league needs some help. Look at the four teams remaining right now. The 49ers have one of the most embarrassingly awesome groups of seal position talents I think we've all ever seen in one offense at one time. The Eagles, my God, yes. The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, who right now is on pace to probably be the best quarterback ever. Him or Brady, fine. Say second best, still. Okay, makes sense. And yeah. Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow's awesome, but you know who else are awesome? Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd. I mean, come on, guys. It's like Dak Prescott and these other quarterbacks. They have one guy to throw the ball to, and then all of a sudden we just, oh, they can't carry their team. Who does carry their team? It's Patrick Mahomes. It's football. This isn't basketball. It's not five on five. It's 11 on 11. One amazing quarterback, unless they're Patrick Mahomes, can only get you so far. But guess what's going to happen if the Bengals go into Arrowhead, Burrowhead, as a Eli Apple is calling it. Um, if they go in and they knock off the Chiefs, guys, it's going to be like, oh, look, Patrick Mahomes didn't have enough weapons there. So team sport, free, not free Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, they've never spent a first round pick on a running back, wide receiver, or tight end since Aaron Rodgers had been there. Be a lot cooler if they did that this year and maybe just maybe dip their feet in the free agency as well. All right, guys, went a little longer than usual hour. You know, I try to keep these solo ones more than 30 minutes. I had a lot to get off my chest here, trying to work on my pacing a little bit anyway, so I think it's all good in the hood anyway. But, yeah, appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, I did promise previously that we would start going through position by position with some key takeaways, and I am going to be doing just that. Have my editors wanted to get some free agent stuff out, though, and I got excited about it, so I want to talk about that before and get a quick primer in. As always, we will have all sorts of coverage on free agency, the draft, and everything else here here on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast year-round, as always. So thanks again for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian. Until next time, take care, everybody.